Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast and excited to have a conversation today in the area of what supports are provided for learners in Nebraska who are identified as being deaf and or hard of hearing. And I'm so grateful today to have six of our leaders statewide uh, joining us. And so uh, it's very typical of the podcast for us to get into introductions right from the start. I think we're just going to dive in and tell the story and let folks introduce themselves as our conversation evolves today. And as you're listening, you're going to get the opportunity to not only learn a little bit more about the structure of supports, but by the time this podcast is over, who to reach out to and what services exist and how these services are developed really uh, as a collaborative effort. And so I'm going to start by passing the ball over here to our point person, Darsha, Darsha Pellin, who is with Nebraska Department of Education. And she reached out. We had a chance to connect about this conversation. And so Darsha, will you give us a little bit of the backstory on first your role at NDE and then how this conversation came about? Sure. Um, I am Darsha Pelland. I'm the Director of Low Incidence at the Nebraska Department of Education in the Special Education Department. Andrew and I met last February at a conference, and we started talking then about having me come on and do a podcast with him about teaching deaf and hard of hearing students. Well, then as my life evolved and I got the position at the Nebraska Department of Education, I wanted to broaden that so that the state of Nebraska can get to know everybody under low incidence disabilities, but today we're going to focus on deaf and hard of hearing services. And so we pulled in our regional coordinators across the state. And I want to start where I came from, from the Central Western Nebraska Partnership area. So I'm going to throw it over to Heather to introduce herself. Hi everyone, I'm Heather Witte and I am one of the coordinators for the Central Western Nebraska Partnership for students who are deaf and hard of hearing. I am housed in Central Nebraska at Educational Service Unit number nine. I began my career there as a teacher of the deaf and then it has evolved into now having two hats. I coordinate services at ESU nine for sign language interpreters and deaf educators. And then for the state, I am one of the coordinators for the Central West Partnership. We have a ginormous area. There are two of us coordinators. So I'm in the central part of the state and Sarah Peterson is our way out West coordinator. So I'm going to let her go ahead, introduce herself. Hi, I'm Sarah Peterson. Like Heather said, I work kind of the Western part of the Central Western Nebraska Partnership. I am housed at ESU 13, based out of Scott's Bluffs. As Heather said, the Central Western Nebraska Partnership is quite ginormous. We actually cover ESUs 9, 10, 11, 13, 15, 16, and 17. All right, and I'm going to jump in here real quick to say, if you're new to the structural systems conversation that we're having here today, it took me a little bit of time to understand that you could be all of these things, a regional program leader, and also work at an ESU, and also be a teacher at the same time. And you're hearing that in these introductions as we move forward. I'm seeing heads nod. Uh, you might catch that. And so if you're new to this conversation, those are the many hats that the individuals we have today are wearing and grateful uh, for those supports. And so, okay, so I'm going to throw things over to Lindsay next to introduce yourself. 
Hi, I'm Lindsay Hinsman, and I'm the coordinator of the Southeast Nebraska Regional Program, or SNRP. And I'm housed out of ESU 18, which is part of Lincoln Public Schools, but I provide support to school districts in ESUs 4, 5, and 6, in addition to Lincoln Public Schools. So I cover the Southeast portion of Nebraska in my area. And I'll turn it over to Jill to talk about her region. Thank you, Lindsay. I'm Jill Hoffert, and I coordinate the Northeast Nebraska Regional Program for Deaf and Hard of Hearing Students. Um, my office is based in Norfolk Public Schools, but we cover students in ESUs 1, 7, and 8. I started as a teacher of the deaf for ESU 8, and five years into that, we started the regional programs. So I have been coordinating since they started, and that was in 97. And we have kind of evolved the more teachers of the deaf that we were able to get for schools, the less students I served, and at least as their teacher, right? And so my role as the coordinator is ever evolving, actually. So, uh, Diane? Good morning, I'm Diane Meyer, and I'm the Administrative Coordinator for the Metro Regional Program, or MRP. I'm housed out of ESU 3 in Omaha. We cover ESUs 2, 3, and 19, which is Omaha Public Schools. I've had a journey too, similar to Jill. I started as a speech-language pathologist specializing in deaf and hard of hearing for the Omaha Public Schools, then became a deaf educator, then became an administrator, and have been doing the MRP for... 18 years now. I also am the administrator for the itinerant and the interpreter program for the suburban schools program, which is based in Ralston Public Schools and provides contract services to students within the Omaha and greater Omaha area. Wow. And just uh, powerful to hear everyone sharing the similar roles they play in the respective corners of the state, really for learners in any and every and all districts. All right. And so with this wealth of experience and reach that we have represented by this group, I'm excited to learn a little bit more about really what it is that all of you get to do on a regular basis and wearing those various hats that we referenced earlier. And so uh, to talk about these services, everything from, I think, uh, starts with identification, right? And then maybe moves into some of those practices is my assumption. And so would love some input on that first step in making sure that we know who it is that we're serving. Well, identification starts when the student, including an infant, is verified with a hearing loss. And so at that point in time, that's when the school districts bring in deaf educators to help those teams determine the impact and what we need to do for that particular student. Since everything is very individualized, all the hearing losses, everything that a child experiences is very unique. And so it's working with those families and those school districts to help them develop a program to best meet the needs of all those children. Uh, and when you were talking there, Diane, you mentioned the degree of the impact. Uh, is it sometimes the support where that the first step of the conversation would be to say, do we need to seek out some sort of medical support for a cochlear implant? Uh, or is it more so that maybe families have pursued that on their own, and now we're really trying to help some of those learners with navigating different degrees of being able to have some hearing? I'm curious about the nuance, because I'm sure there is uh, some variations in terms of the degree to which different learners have the ability to, to hear. You're exactly right. There is huge variation in what individuals have access to. We don't 
make those medical recommendations for a cochlear implant, but we do help the families work through that when those recommendations have been made. Cochlear implants are not done until the child is over 12 months of age. And so for infants, when they're identified, some of that is helping parents understand what is a cochlear implant. Um, many times, you know, the families go into those medical appointments and the doctors spew a lot of medical terminology, a lot of information at those families. And it, it's part of our role and the deaf educators role to help the families really digest what are they being told in layman's terms? What does this mean? What is this process so that they can make the best decision for their child? We support them in whatever they make those decisions. Some families decide to have services decide to have equipment, other families choose not to. So whatever's right for the family and the child is what we work with and move forward. Can I ask the group then to speak a little bit to, because what I'm hearing Diane share there is that these services start prior to what we might think of as your typical educational experience, which is traditionally that K-12. Um, Nebraska is a birth to 21 state. And we are rare across the nation. There's only a few of us that have birth to 21 services. And that is an amazing thing about Nebraska. So we do start the minute that we find out that a child has been identified, we do try to get an educational service in there. Jill, you had your... I just wanted to add to what Diane mentioned about supporting families and whatever needs they have, wherever they're at along their journey of if it's diagnosis or just education about what their child can and can't hear. And I just thought it was important to note that not everyone is considered for cochlear implants, nor is that appropriate for everyone. It's not the first go-to answer for every child. Some families pursue that immediately and some never pursue that. So along the whole spectrum, we look at everything from communication modality. Are they going to be a signer? Are they going to use every aspect they can? We just have to look at all of the areas, not just kids that are going to be considered for cochlear implants. And so that's interesting to think then, again, being novice to this conversation. So one of those, if I'm hearing you right then, Jill, one of those first things that needs to be discussed is how are we going to help support this learner child as they develop the ability to communicate across multiple modalities, ideally. And so as we start to kind of nail down services, I guess, or the development of the supports for those kiddos, what does that look like sometimes? I understand we're in a world where like it looks different every time, <laughs> but broadly, Lindsay. So one awesome thing that the regional programs do is help to connect families with each other. We know that families find support from others who have been in their shoes and heard the same information given to them. So one of the nice things about the Nebraska regional programs is we provide that support to families from that initial diagnosis through their high school graduation. We are a constant for them to help them as they go through early intervention services and special education services, but also help them connect with other families within our region or across the state who um, might have a child who has a similar hearing loss or uses the same type of communication mode. That's a great thing that our program does for families, as well as lets our families know more about the deaf and hard of hearing culture and community that now their child is part of and might have the opportunity to participate in. 
Sometimes this happens through workshops that we provide to families throughout the year to give them more information about maybe education or deaf culture or community and help families develop their own knowledge of helping their child best. So definitely leaning into the fact that this will forever be a team effort of folks around them, making sure that they're there to help support, learn, grow together, and to stay connected with other families, which this group, so the need for you all to collaborate together uh, and be in conversations is probably pretty high then, obviously, so that you can bring those folks together. I think one of the, I was just going to add a little bit, you know, obviously a lot of students and and children that are born with hearing loss, they have hearing parents. I think it's about 80% of kids born are born to hearing parents. And because deafness is such a low incidence disability, there's many times that parents have never met anybody who's deaf or even hard hearing. And so it's just a real muddy water at first for them because they don't know you know, what to expect. And so we very much try to connect them with deaf adults and adults that are hard of hearing so that they can meet people and kind of see the trends of, oh, here's my child and here's where they can be and they will be okay. And they will lead a very successful life. And we have so many kids in Sarah in our area, they're very isolated. They might be the only child or, or kiddo at their school with hearing aids or with a cochlear implant. And so we really try to connect them with other kids throughout the state that are going through some of the same things that they're going through and as well as families of things that they need to do. And so we very much feel strongly that when we hold workshops or activities, we have a lot of past students that went through our programs uh, with hearing loss so that they can be there to talk to families about their journey and, and what their life was like growing up. We find that very important that we have deaf-led and hard-of-hearing-led activities for our families and students. Yeah, and can we yeah, speak to more of those? And I, I want to be sensitive to the fact that supports in different districts, regions, uh, areas of the state are going to vary. But um, just as a couple examples of what it looks like to make the space to, yeah, to bring those groups together. Well, one of the charges that we have from the Department of Ed is to make sure that we enhance the social and emotional development of students with hearing loss. And so part of that is making sure that they have the opportunity to interact with other peers. And while Heather said, yes, we have the kids in their region because they're so spread out that are very isolated, we still have that even in the metro area. Because even if you're in a school district, you still may be the only kid in the building. And if you're not, you're probably the only kid in the grade. And so getting to interact with another student in a different grade doesn't typically happen. So a lot of times it's letting the kids interact and meet other peers so that they see there's other individuals just like themselves. And that's really critical for their self-esteem and their self-development. As they alluded, yeah, a lot of people, their interaction with individuals with hearing loss is usually a grandparent, and that's an old age acquired or a military or because we are an agricultural state, many of our individuals also have noise-induced hearing losses from farm equipment. But those are adults that have very developed full languages. Those aren't kids that have that impact where access has been difficult. And so they may have fragments or holes. Many times we talk about our kids as being Swiss cheese, that if you think of a picture of Swiss cheese, you have these holes. And so I have all this information, but I have a hole here because I didn't hear it. 
I didn't have access to that information. And so we try to help fill those gaps in and let them have um, full access and understand that it's okay. There's other people like you and it will be just fine, which is also helpful to the parents. Can I ask then, I guess, what are some of the support strategies? And it's going to vary based, I would assume, uh, on the individual's degree of hearing. What does it look like to help them fill those holes? Well, one of the first things is making sure that the parents and professionals that are with them all the time are prepared and know what to do that they have to do differently for a student with typical hearing. So we also coordinate, set up, and pull off a lot of staff development and parent training, including quite a bit of effort put into educational sign language interpreters and their skill development. The Department of Ed and the deaf community have very high expectations for sign language interpreters, as we all do. And so we have to support those individuals to make sure they are at the top of their game, providing the best access to kids. We do that for speech pathologists. We do that for classroom teachers or resource teachers, like the people who are in the building every day working with those kids, being able to help them know what's best to do to make their deaf or hard of hearing students education possible and the best that it can be. I'm kind of late coming here, Um, but going back to some of our activities across the state, um, we host activities and events for families who have very young children all the way up through high school graduation. So you may have some more localized family events because families with young kiddos have more difficulty traveling across the state. It's really far for a family where I live here in Western Nebraska to get to Omaha for a two hour social event with other deaf and hard of hearing families. So we work with other agencies across the state from the Nebraska Commission for the Deaf and Hard of Hearing to Nebraska Hands and Voices and the Nebraska Hands and Voices Guide by Your Side program. We work with NEAD to try to host localized events for families and children so that our families do connect with people from across the state, so that our kids see a variety of deaf and hard of hearing, middle school, high school, adult age kiddos. We also host events specifically for students starting around kindergarten age where we get kiddos from across the state together to spend a day or a weekend learning from each other, learning from other deaf and hard of hearing role models, just kind of exploring the world in the different way that our deaf and hard of hearing kiddos need to do that. We host summer camp for our older students where we get to spend a week learning from deaf and hard of hearing adults and experience a variety of opportunities around the state of Nebraska. I was also going to add that we also offer sign language classes via Zoom for professionals and parents and anybody that's in a school district that wants to learn sign language. We regionally do it a little bit differently, but I think every region definitely offers classes via Zoom. We also offer family sign classes. They can be through Zoom or we go into the home and provide those for our families as well. So to maybe pull Jill, Sarah's, and Heather's comments there together, to fill those holes, it sounds like it's focusing on educating those who are going to be in direct support of the child, uh, him or herself, 
And then it's also in providing opportunities for that child to be around others and maybe pick up, like learn some strategies and gain some self-confidence in some of those as well. I would imagine probably happens in between the instructional portion of those those times. Uh, it's got to feel good to feel connected and not alone and to be supported and to know that others face similar joys and, and challenges and everything in between. Uh, and as Heather mentioned there, and leveraging technology. Uh, and there, I'm sure that as time has evolved, as I want to point out again, it's been 25 years that these Nebraska regional programs have existed, uh, which I learned today, was really grateful for that, that that technology piece, as it continues to, again, evolve, but also in, in its access, uh, I think that that would certainly change the way in which this group and those supporting these children would have different things at their disposal. Is that fair to say? Definitely. Very, very much. When I started years ago, the equipment that we were using in schools was actually a big unit that was strapped to the child's chest. You know, now that is like totally out of there. Everything is up on their head and ear level. So technology has been a great asset for individuals with hearing loss. And as we talked about before, children who are deaf, that truly are in that deaf category, they're only about a 1% population, but Students who have hearing loss, so other degrees of hearing loss, are running somewhere around 15 to 18% of the population. So we have a lot more kids that are being identified with hearing loss, where before, even when I started teaching, it was usually kindergarten is where they got caught. That's where they would first identify that they had a hearing loss. And now, because of newborn hearing screening, those kids are getting caught at birth or the pediatric office, if it's a progressive loss, they're getting caught. So we're seeing them a lot sooner, but that is a huge chunk of our population that we serve. And so that number keeps growing and growing, which means we have a lot more kids that we need to serve. So we definitely need to work on recruiting, which is one of the things we do to keep developing more deaf and hard of hearing educators and interpreters, because that's the way of the life. And we, we need access and we need those individuals in order to be able to do that. Jill? Yes, I was just going to add that technology changes that have been happening and will continue to happen for other areas, not just for amplifying sound. Like the world has shrunk in the fact that kids can get together. They can communicate with each other. They can be in touch on their own, not just when we gather them. And that is huge. That is a big difference for a kid who is deaf or hard of hearing now, as opposed to one 25 years ago, when we started this regional program, they have so many more opportunities. And as technology changes, they can take their cell phone with them into a store in a restaurant and ask questions from the worker on their own, which kind of leads to the transition piece of our jobs. Maybe Lindsay, you should talk about that. Sure. We also work with students who are in that transition age, so high school and beyond high school graduation, on building those transition skills. So one area where the regional program has had some support is through our Nebraska Transition Summit for students who are deaf and hard of hearing. And so we have a transition team committee that involves various stakeholders from the Nebraska Department of Education, parents, as well as former students and professionals to help develop skills for students outside of high school and what they may be doing. So 
the past three years, we have had a transition summit in the summer where we have focused in on developing some of those transition skills, whether that be career exploration, job interviews, resumes, filling out applications, giving students some extra support in developing those skills in addition to self-advocacy, because we know for students who are deaf and hard of hearing, being able to advocate for their needs in school as well as in the workplace after high school is also important. So this transition summit is another piece that the regional programs help support in making sure our students are ready for life after high school. Wow. And that's probably a good point to reference the earlier podcast on the 18 to 21 transition, which I mentioned previously. So definitely go back and check that out. Uh, One question I would just ask, maybe we'll go around the horn and answer this and respecting FERPA and all the things that we need to do in in that sense. Can I have each of you share briefly, because our our 30 minutes goes so quickly, one story that kind of touches your heart or has has touched your heart during your career, particularly in the role that you're in now in serving and supporting and leading, almost like examples really of, of what this looks like. Because we, we've talked systems a little bit today and, and we certainly talked some of the practices, the services, um, but I love hearing about those things that make you go home and feel, you, know, you get in your car and you feel good, you smile. <laughs> that today was a good day because, and that doesn't mean that necessarily even, I'm probably pigeonholing everyone in, uh, working with a particular student, but just what's a good day on the job? I can remember about partway through my career, I had a fourth grade student who went with me to their first overnight statewide activity. First chance meeting other kids her age that were deaf or hard of hearing. First chance seeing deaf adults. We spent the weekend at the Kearney Archway. It was fantastic. We came back and her teacher said, so what did you learn at the Archway? And I'm thinking, okay, we're going to talk about the pioneers and we're going to talk about Nebraska history. And she looked at her teacher, total straight faced and said, did you know when I grow up, I'm still gonna be deaf. She had never had that opportunity to meet anyone else to understand that when you grow up, you're still gonna be deaf. You don't automatically become your hearing deaf educator who knows how to sign that your true identity for the rest of your life is deaf. So that has always been an impact for me that even when I think, oh, a kiddo might not learn anything at this event, there's going to be something that they take home that profoundly impacts them that we could never imagine. I'll just piggyback on what Sarah said. I think one of the most amazing things is seeing kids and families' faces when they see other people like them. We have so many kids that they come to the events and they the look on their face when they see other hearing aids on kids. They're just like, blown away because they don't get the opportunity to see that. It's also really cool when you have a little kiddo growing up who is a signer and he, you know, for the first time they meet a deaf adult or even a child that is signing to them and they just immediately are just stuck to that kiddo or that individual because they just know we are the same. And so I I just, I love those times and they happen all the time. So I had a student, um, was my first year as a coordinator, was identified with a unilateral hearing loss. So just one side involved, but was really, really struggling in school and did some exploratory, found a piece of equipment that helped him access in an easier method so that he could move on through his education. His mom literally this summer reached out to me and said, I just wanted you to know 
He has now finished his master's degree. He's working on a PhD in physics, and he is secluded with the U.S. Navy. He's the only physicist or physics individual that is helping design the new nuclear subs for the United States. So when it launches, I will know he's had an impact. I think another thing is the impact we've had with parents. They hear their kids' stories like the one Sarah told, or they meet other parents, or they see their child in a group environment succeeding and how much taller they stand with the confidence that they've gained from whatever the event was that our program provided. So for example, when we have brought in a group called the Young Americans, for our students who are deaf or hard of hearing, the Young Americans is a singing and dancing troupe that goes across the United States. They teach the kids to sing, dance, act, and they put on a show for their parents after a two and a half day workshop. And as I mentioned, the deaf and hard of hearing kids are the singers and dancers. And they do, they're so proud of themselves and they do such a phenomenal job. And the young adults that come with that troupe treat them with such dignity and have such high expectations for them that those kids are able to reach and meet. Those parents are almost always sitting in that crowd in tears over how proud they are of their child and how something they never thought was going to be possible is possible. And even the ones who don't sing or use their voice at all are still participating in sign language, in lead roles, in teaching the staff how to make that accessible. It's just the best way for parents to see is when we bring the parents in and show them what their kids can do. It's just incredible. And I would echo what everyone has said about seeing students be successful, seeing that parent relationship. Um, something else that we do is when we have deaf and hard of hearing role models, we often have our former students come back and serve as those deaf and hard of hearing role models for activities. And so that's also another very rewarding experience to see kids who were previously in our program now coming back and being leaders, sharing their experiences with students or sharing their experiences with parents, if it's a parent workshop or a parent family activity. And just to see how they've grown and how they've kind of found themselves and built their confidence to be successful. We have individuals that are leaders and share in activities like the Transition Summit or our summer camp. And so seeing them come back and make a difference in those students' lives is really awesome also. And another thing that we involve our students is Gallaudet University is in Washington, D.C., and it is for college-aged individuals who are deaf or hard of hearing. And they have a program called Gallaudet Youth Programs, and they have Academic Bowl, they have Battle of the Books, they have different math and science events, and we do get our students involved in those things, and we've had a lot of success with that. A few years ago's Battle of the Books team got second place in the nation. So these kids are able to go back to their district and say, yeah, I have a silver medal, you know, in things that they maybe don't even get to be on the academic bowl at their school, going across the state to Lincoln, what their classmates do. No, we went to Washington, D.C. for our competition or 
you know, we've had academic bull teams very successful in DC and they just get a lot of opportunities that they don't get at their own school. Not that they're not being offered at their own school. They just either don't qualify for it or aren't brave enough to try it on their own or that kind of thing. Sarah. One of the biggest differences with those Gallaudet youth events is they've kind of removed that barrier to access. It doesn't matter if you can hear the entire question being read aloud. The question is up there accessible to everyone who is participating at the same rate as their peers. So it's some cool opportunities for our kids to be on level ground and be able to compete nationally in things that maybe they can't in their school. At summer camp, we give kids the opportunity to lead small group clubs. They come up with what they want to teach the group. They have a chance to partner with a deaf or hard of hearing role model to lead those things where they may not have those leadership opportunities within their home school district. Wow. I have two things I kind of want to say as we bring this conversation to a close. And the first is to say that even this morning, as I was getting ready for work, I came across an article online that was really just poking fun at teachers and kind of tearing down. Um, I get choked up talking about this, like the work that we do, um, because situationally, somebody has a story about something that happened once. <laughs> and I'm just continually inspired whenever I, I'm on calls like this in conversation with great folks like yourselves who show up each and every day and and pour their their lives and their hearts out for kids <clears throat> and you ask folks to say like just give me a story and we could keep going <laughs> we could talk for the next hour about that and the next week about that and i'm so grateful to everyone here that, that's on uh, the pod today uh, and as folks continue to share out through this avenue because those stories need elevated uh, and i believe that and it makes me mad that that doesn't get nearly the attention <clears throat> that it deserves. Well, thanks, Andrew, because you're giving it attention. And I don't mean us as individuals attention, but the idea of people can have compassion and show dignity and care for everyone, regardless how different we are, what we look like, what we act like, what we can do, what our abilities are, doesn't matter. Everybody deserves dignity. And we've got passionate individuals like you all who are out there doing that, that good work every day. And I'm so grateful for that, uh, which gets me to, to point two here, which I need to make sure that I bring up before we bring our conversation to a close. And that is to say that if you are looking to access some of these services, our call to action really today is to reach out to your local district, to your local ESU, to your regional representative, uh, which we'll try to put contact information for these uh, fine folks in our show notes. <laughs> and so you can certainly uh, access them and maybe through other avenues as well. Andrew, we have a Nebraska regional program website that does have just click links to all of our individual regional program websites. So that's something that could go like in. <laughs> yeah, we can put that in the show notes also. And uh, uh, and another thing worth noting is that this is just one of the many hats that I'm sure everyone in here wears. <laughs> so these supports exist for a number of different challenges that students uh, might face. And so thank you all for your time today and sharing out for your advocacy, both in your day-to-day -day work, but also through uh, this format for drawing attention to all that Nebraska education is doing to help out 
our kiddos. So thank you all for your time. Thanks for having us, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. I can't wait to listen. Yeah.